RVs pack the campground in the rolling hills of North Carolina. I walk up to introduce myself to the owner who's standing near a John Deere tractor. I, my name is Benny East. My mother is Ruby Bunker East. He's a big, friendly guy wearing a ball cap, blue jeans, and a red t-shirt. Uh, Mama grew up right here on this farm. He's on a branch of a famous family tree. Benny is the great-great-grandson of Eng Bunker. My mama's daddy, Byron Bunker, was a grandson of Eng. And that makes me a great-great-grandson of Eng. Eng was one half of the original Siamese twins. Chang and Eng entered the world over 200 years ago, traveled it as celebrities, and settled in the American South. Uh, that's where we're at. We're on part of the Siamese Twins farm right now. Their story is still crazy after all these years. Eng could be talking to you about one subject, and Chang could be talking to you about something else. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch, stories about the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. As conjoined twins, Chang and Eng's lives were astonishing. Their adventure, beginning in what is now Thailand and ending in America, was completely out of line with what anybody could have expected. Uh, this is Inter Huang. I'm a professor of English at the University of California, Santa Barbara. My new book is entitled Inseparable, the original Siamese twins and their rendezvous with American history. Describe how Chang and Eng were joined. When they were born, there was a band of, uh, of flesh that was about four inches in length. Um, but over the years, through wear and tear, it was stretched to about half, uh, five and a half inches in length. And so if you don't notice, don't see the, the band, because they usually walk around with arms around each other. So they look like uh, two normal human beings, maybe getting a little tipsy, you know, the way they walk. And un until you see uh, they actually kind of sewn together, you realize uh, what kind of life uh, they can live. Imagine that throughout their lives, they had to do everything together. They go to the bathroom together, they eat together, they sleep together. They were born in this uh, small fishing village in Siam by the name of Maklong. Um, they grew up there, it's a river town, and they were fishermen's boys. And most people actually are floating on water by you know, living on houseboats. So when the twins uh, were growing up, they learned to walk, but more importantly, they learned to swim. And imagine the difficulty, the challenge of having to <laughs> you know, learn to swim uh, when you're tied to someone else. And um, after their father died, when, the, when they were relatively young, uh, they had to help their mother, Ikenawa Living, uh, by raising ducks. It's 1824. The sun is setting on the river, where a 30-ton British ship looks out of place with the houseboats. Businessman Robert Hunter is standing on the stern. In the growing darkness, he sees a mysterious form moving through the water. At first, he thinks it's a kind of mythological creature swimming, some sort of hydra, two heads, four legs. 
When it, or they, emerge from the water, Hunter realizes the teenage boys are connected. It's a marvel of nature and a huge opportunity. Chang and Eng's mother had already lost her husband and five children to cholera, so it's surprising to know that when Hunter offered to buy the twins, she agreed. Well, this is a thorny issue when they realized they were basically sold uh, by their mother. Uh, Hunter was a sweet talker. The lure of $500 at the time, which is a huge sum. Also, she was promised that the boys, after five years, uh, will be returned to her. And that's really the promise which was never kept. The biggest obstacle was actually the Siamese king. And now, to the American imagination, you know, Siamese king is what Anna and the king, and the king and I, all these uh, 1950s um, Broadway uh, musicals. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. That was uh, about a decade or two later. So the Siamese twin story took place about two decades before uh, Anna and the king. But at any rate, the Siamese kings uh, owned everything in his kingdom. And in the beginning, he was really reluctant to let the boys go. Eight of the king's men row the boys 60 miles to Bangkok, where they are carried to the palace in a covered hammock. They're ordered to crawl to the king, who sits cross-legged on a throne 10 feet high. The twins put their palms on their forehead three times, and knock their heads to the floor three times. They've rehearsed the ritual. Rama III seems amused as he asks the boys questions about their lives. A clang of gongs ends the meeting. So, how is Robert Hunter going to convince the king to let the Siamese twins out of the country? Hunter finds a partner, a ship captain from Massachusetts named Abel Coffin. He has an in with the king, having sold him weapons to put down a rebellion. Now, Coffin tries to convince Rama III to release the teenage twins and transform the young duck merchants into geese laying golden eggs. Abel Coffin was able to appeal to the king by uh, telling him that, you know, if you will let the boys go, uh, I can show the world how wonderful your kingdom is because, you know, you can produce such wonderful boys, a wonder of nature. And the king said, okay, maybe that's not, you know, not such a bad idea. And so they left Siam in, uh, April, on April Fool's Day, actually, on 1829. The voyage on a three-masted ship lasts 138 days. Chang and Eng learn Western manners and how to speak English, also how to play chess. They're 18 years old when they arrive in Boston in the summer of 1829. Their names don't appear on the passenger list. Author Yunta Huang believes the businessmen were keeping their precious human cargo a secret. Otherwise, people flock to the dock to have a free peek at the wonder. And initially, they were going to be billed as the monster. But once again, uh, their owners were kind of shrewd, thinking that kind of advertisement was probably too much. It may scare away um, you know, potential viewers, paying customers. So they toned down the advertisement to uh, Siamese double boys. 
When the twins arrived, the free show was merely taking off. Was a, still a very small affair, because、uh, P. D. Barnum, you know, the the great caravan, the circus, and everything,、uh, was still a few decades down the road. And、uh, so, before the twins arrived, there were like single display of say. A kind of tattooed body, or an albino person, or something, or hairy, you know, bearded ladies, that sort of thing. So, freak show was a very kind of not a phenomenal affair. The twins, because of the exoticism and the, the freakish aspect of their body, and on top of that, they were really also great entertainers, and、uh, so they really took the freak show to a very different level. How did the first show do in terms of people coming to see them? I did very well, certainly.、Um, they can do somersaults together and the backflips together, even. And sometimes they will carry like a really kind of overweight person around the hall just to show off how strong they were.、Uh, but also, after they learn enough English,、uh, they were very artistic. I think in their、uh, interaction with、uh, the audience. Customers had to pay 50 cents to see the Siamese twins, a pretty steep price in 1829. But they were a sensation in Boston, then New York, then Philadelphia, where the shows raked in a thousand dollars in one week. Newspapers all over the country were running articles about the exotic marvel. Rather than simply play the role of gawking material, Chang and Eng became skilled entertainers. So one time,、uh, there's a one-eyed man in the audience, and they will just pretend. They will go over to him and say, "Maybe we should refund you half of the money since you have only one eye and you can only see <laughs> half as well as you know the others did." So, so they have an amazing capacity, I guess, to to pick up language and to use humor to entertain the the audience. And this is a you know that's also a very rowdy crowd, tough customers to to satisfy、uh, in the Jacksonian age, and some of them will ask basically them to take off their clothes just to to verify for themselves. For instance,、uh, they are not willing to. So occasionally they will be called imposters and、uh, cheats, and、uh, they will of course tempers will fly, and they they got into a lot of fistfights throughout their career as showmen. Describe Chang and Eng's relationship with their owners. Captain Coffin, because he is a ship captain, he had to travel a lot, and that will leave his wife、uh, Susan Coffin to manage,、uh, with the help of a hired manager,、uh, to 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 run the shows. And、um, the the boys were treated pretty badly, especially、uh, during the first trip to England. For instance,、uh, they had to. Uh, you know, travel in steerage, whereas、uh, Susan Coffin and the manager will will travel in first class cabin, and they really resented that. Chang and Eng were going to tour France. Officials there denied them entry, citing what's known as maternal impression. That myth claimed that if a pregnant woman laid eyes on a so-called monster, her own baby would be born with deformities. Chang and Eng's reaction to that insult was apparently lost to history. One thing about you know which kind of strikes me about the Siamese twin story is that even though they are treated as freaks, they really fought hard for whatever they deserve, and that's really、uh, I admire you know deeply their fighting spirit. 
And so they resented being treated like slaves and second-class citizen or third-class citizen for that matter. When the twins turned 21, they issued their own Declaration of Independence. Robert Hunter had already sold his interest to Captain Coffin. His wife told the boys they were breaking their promise and that she loved them. They wrote back that her affection was caused by the thousands of hard shining dollars the twins had enabled her to spend. Chang and Eng were now on their own. Mount Airy welcomes you. In the western hills of North Carolina, 10,000 people call Mount Airy home. They include Benny East, the man you met at the beginning of this story. He's Eng's great-great-grandson. And they settled in this area. They called this the garden spot of the world. By 1839, Chang and Eng had spent seven years on their own, on the road. They were tired of the showbiz grind, especially the jolting carriage rides. They loved North Carolina, where they had drawn huge audiences, and where the hills were just right for two men who were surprisingly active in spite of that connection. And uh, they, uh, a lot of people may look at them as being a disability. They didn't look at it that way. Uh, they felt like uh, they could, uh, should be able to do things twice as good as someone else. So they would hunt, and they fished, they could run and jump over fences, they'd swim. I'm looking at the water tower in Mount Airy and it has an image of a sunset and in front of that sunset are two silhouetted figures. Now they're not Eng and Chang, they're a father and a son and they're carrying fishing poles. Main Street in Mount Airy. The annual Mayberry Days Parade slowly moves through a gauntlet of fans. They wear hats and t-shirts honoring Opie, Aunt B, Barney, and Andy. Andy Griffith based his 60s TV show on Mount Airy, where he grew up. The Andy Griffith Museum features video clips, photos, and props from the old show. It celebrates a vision of the American normal. Meanwhile, on a less visited lower level, the abnormal is on display. I'm at the Siamese Twins exhibit in Mount Airy, and I'm in a big room. And all over the walls, I'm looking at uh, photographs of Chang and Ang, uh, paintings, newspaper articles, even posters that years ago would be used to draw spectators to their performances all around the world. Guide Heather Elliott tells visitors about Chang and Eng's decision to retire at 28. They were going to be done touring for now. They had amassed enough money that they were ready to get sort of get on with their with their with their normal lives. The twins had saved about $10,000, a lot of money back then. Their first home was west of Mount Airy in Trap Hill, North Carolina. They played new roles, store owners and suitors. At one of the social occasions, uh, they met the two daughters of a local farmer who's actually quite well-to-do, David Yates. So they met Addie and Sarah. Chang, who is the more irritable one but a far more aggressive one, uh, he fell in love with Addie, and Addie also fell in love with Chang. But Sarah <laughs> was freaking out, and she was not interested. And uh, so Eng Chang and Addie knew that there's no future if Sarah does not join the union. So they spent a lot of time trying to convince Sarah. But still, Sarah would not budge. 
Imagine the challenge. The twins are forever connected. A wife would never be with one without being with the other. In order to really convince Sarah, uh, they threw a, a quilting party. So they invited neighborhood women to come and uh, sew a quilt. And at the same time, they provided a feast for everybody. After years of being on the road as entertainers, they're very good, you know, they're very savvy, they're very skilled in telling jokes, going around, hosting everybody. So at the end of the party, Sarah was convinced. On the marriage license, Chang and Eng, for the first time in their lives, used a last name, Bunker. No one can be sure why they chose it. We also have to wonder if at that wedding in 1843, they used the words, till death do you part. Within a year of the marriage, both wives had delivered a baby. And as visitors to the Siamese twins exhibit learned, the couples didn't stop there. Over the years, between them, they had 21 children. That's right, 11 kids for Ang and Sarah, 10 kids for yeah. Chang and Adelaide. And, and I find this remarkable. They actually had 22, only one of them passed away in infancy. That is a staggeringly good rate. That's better than the rate in North Carolina right now. Now you'll have to pardon the question that I am sure you get all the time, but every listener would want to know, how did the twins manage an active sex life considering the physical realities? Right. So um, let me state just a few facts and leave the rest for your imagination. How about that? Fair enough. So the band had been stretched to about five and a half inches in length, which doesn't really give them a lot of room to maneuver. If you're in bed, you know, two brothers with a band of five and a half inches in length, and with a woman, uh, or two even. The twins explored the idea of surgery to finally be free of each other. They consulted with doctors, and they were ready, actually, to go under the knife. It was the sisters who came and said, oh, no, and they begged them, basically, don't do that. Uh, it's too dangerous, and we will be happy just to you know, have you as you are. As the family expanded, the Trap Hill home became too crowded. The Siamese twins bought 650 acres near Mount Airy and eventually built two houses. We're driving over the Eng and Chang Bunker Memorial Bridge, spanning a creek between the homes, which were a mile apart. I grew up there. Eng's great-granddaughter, Dorothy Haymore, lived in his house until it burned down in the 1950s. She's still in Mount Airy. What are we looking at? Describe it. Well, I did, as best I can, this is Ng, my great-grandfather, and Chang. We look at black and white photos of the twins' huge crop of kids. Their arrangement was they would spend three days at Chang's house. Then they would forge the creek and come over to Ng's house. I mean, they would, a shallow spot in the river they would, like, ride yeah. across? Mm-hmm, yeah. What were the rules? What was the understanding about what would happen in each house when they were doing their three-day? Well, from what I've heard, I've heard Mama and Grandpa tell this, that when they were in Ng's house, Chang would lay over and stay quiet and have say nothing. 
and listen and not be involved. Same thing when they went to Chang's house, Ng would lay over. Nothing would be said. They worked it out. Whichever house they were in, the owner of that house set the rules. Right. You showed us some pictures of Chang and Ang and all the kids. When you look at that picture and you see that big family way back in the 1800s, what do you think? I think, boy, they, they stayed busy. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't let that stop them. Another photo shows Dorothy's grandfather, Robert Bunker, who was born to Ang and Sarah in 1865. He lived until 1951. So your, your grandpa would talk about his parents? Yeah. What did he say about Ang Well, and one Chan? time he evidently had misbehaved and his daddy, Ying, was punishing him, whipping him. And Chang reached over and said, that's enough now. Robert Edward Bunker was named after Robert E. Lee. Chang and Ang were fervent supporters of the Confederacy. Chang and Ang knew the sting of racism. They knew what it was like to be virtually owned by other human beings. But as landowners, they took on roles that would seem to be contradictory. So at their wedding, they received a gift from their father-in-law, a slave woman by the name of uh, Grace Gates. And she was born in Alabama on a plantation, was sold to North Carolina, and now she became the wedding gift for the twins. As Yunta Huang writes in Inseparable, Chang and Eng had entered a treacherously murky area where the persecuted becomes the persecutor, the victim turns victimizer. They were pretty shrewd businessmen, uh, so they tend to buy uh, rather young slaves. So the first three slaves they bought were aged three, five, and seven. Uh, throughout their slave-owning career, they had the habit of buying young ones, raise them, and also work them in a field or in a house. And when they turned like 18 or 17, uh, they would sell them at profit. And that's how they accumulated quite a lot of wealth uh, before the Civil War. How in their minds did they justify it? Well, you, we have to put ourselves in their shoes. We're talking about antebellum South. And for them... First of all, to be recognized as human beings is one already a, a you know, hot fight. And for them to, to get a foot in the door in that society, owning slaves, I guess, is really a, a big ticket. And I should say, um, colored men owning slaves in 19th century America was not unique to them. Uh, when they were settling down in North Carolina, the Cherokee Nation, for instance, owned about uh, over a thousand slaves. Before the Civil War broke out, writers used the Siamese twins as a metaphor. A split in two would kill the twins, just as it would kill the nation. And uh, as soon as their eldest sons, uh, uh, Christopher and Stephen, uh, turned 18, uh, they, they sent their sons to the battlefield to fight the damn Yankees. And so they were strongly on the Confederate side. Their sons were wounded and captured by the Union troops, but at least they were able to return home alive after the Civil War. Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation meant freedom for Chang and Eng's 32 slaves. It also meant a huge financial setback when the brothers lost their so-called property. But more importantly, they, I guess, out of patriotic sentiment, they were, during the Civil War, 
they made major investment. I should say silly,、uh, kind of stupid investment in Confederate bonds. And after、uh, the fall of the South, of course, those bonds were worthless. So they were wiped out financially. The twins had to go on the road again. They reluctantly performed at their first circus, this one in Berlin. One writer observed, two aging men trotted out on the podium. Instead of being greeted with applause, they were met with laughter. The two seam-faced sixty-year-old men, stiffly, awkwardly moving about, seemed ridiculous in this carnival atmosphere. It was pathetic. So when they back went back on the road,、uh, they were not no longer really major attractions anymore, and that kind of made their their final years as a showman sort of a sad sight、uh, to watch. They wanted to add Russia and France to the tour. But when the Franco-Prussian War broke out in 1870, the twins were forced to head home. Because of his heavy drinking, which got actually got worse、uh, in later years, Chang suffered a stroke on their last transatlantic journey, coming back from their tour in Europe and England. He recovered, but was never the same. In 1874, during a January cold snap, Chang developed bronchitis. Here's Benny East, Eng's great-great-grandson. They was at Chang's house, and it was time to move to Eng's house. Three days was up, and Eng and and、uh, tried to get Chang. Let's just, you know, we'll stay here、uh, till you start feeling a little bit better and all. And Chang would have nothing to do with that. He said, "No, that's、uh, we rotate every three days, and and this is is、uh, it's time for us to go to your house." And they did go to. Eng's、uh, house and Chang passed away that night. The twins had a plan to attempt a surgical separation as soon as one of them died, but the doctor did not arrive in time. So imagine the last, the the few hours when Eng lingered, knowing his brother was gone, and for the first time in his life, his single life, he was completely alone. So imagine the depth of that loneliness and the horror of that feeling. A few hours later, Eng spoke his last words: "May the Lord have mercy upon my soul." I'm behind the White Plains Baptist Church in a cemetery with a beautiful view of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and here's the gravesite: Eng Bunker and Chang Bunker. They share the same birth date, May 11th, 1811, and they share the same death date, January 17th, 1874. Nothing about Chang and Eng was simple in life or in death. Sarah and Adelaide feared grave robbers would make a fast buck by selling the conjoined bodies. The widows temporarily buried their husbands in the cellar of Eng's house. Uh, there are some New York businessmen send them a letter right away, in the letter in which they said, "Just name your price," and that kind of you know interest. Doctors in Philadelphia, who had provided years of free medical treatment, pushed hard to do an autopsy. So after death,、uh, the, this band that connects them is really the holy grail of medicine, and we need to find out what the mystery is.、Um, they bullied the widows, and、uh, eventually.、Uh, Made them turn over the bodies, so the, the the bodies were shipped to Philadelphia, and they went through two autopsies, and、uh, the doctors actually took out some 
organs without the family's consent. The doctors cut into the connecting band while honoring the family's request not to sever it. They discovered that the twins shared a small section of liver, so separating them years earlier would probably have been fatal. Visitors to the Mütter Museum in Philly can actually see the liver and a plaster cast of the twins' bodies. So, in that sense, Chang and Eng are still on display. Unlike the macabre exhibit in Philly, Mount Airy has many happy reminders of the Siamese twins. We do a lot of tours uh, on the twins and this house and the history of the family. Uh, Benny East takes me inside a house built in 1900 by Eng's son, Will Bunker. We climb to the upstairs bedrooms. Chang and Eng's large travel chest is here, and so is their hand-carved double chair. The chair we're looking at is very wide. Well, it is. It's uh, both of them can see it, and you can also see it's not real tall. You know, the twins wasn't real tall. I think that uh, Ng and Chang as young boys are being brought to this country and not knowing this language or this culture and lived on, on the riverbank uh, uh, 40 miles from Bangkok and was brought here and worked as hard as they was and traveled and survived all of that. Pretty amazing that they survived all that. Chang and Eng are believed to have 1,500 descendants. Some show a trace of their Asian ancestry, others nothing at all. Every year, the family holds a reunion. There'll be uh, uh, probably 200, 250 of us that gather. Uh, the uh, embassy from Washington all now comes down. They put on a show, uh, some Thai dancing, you know, and all. And, and the uh, ambassador from Thailand comes. Uh, also, uh, we eat here on a at the Mayberry Campground on Friday evening, and then at the church we all gather. Uh, the Thai restaurant feeds everybody. Then on Saturday. Chang and Eng never made it back to Siam, but in May of 2018, 10 of their descendants traveled to Thailand. The visit to the province of Samut Songram felt like a hero's welcome. Hundreds of locals cheered them. The hosts organized a banquet, special performances, and fireworks. The Americans saw a large statue showing the famous twins standing together, and they toured the floating market where boats crisscrossed a busy intersection of canals. Ang's great-great-granddaughter, Robin Craver, burst into tears, realizing that this was the place where it all began, the journey of the Siamese twins. I'm overwhelmed that I'm where I came from. My ancestors were here. They didn't make it back, but I did. I came back, and part of them came back with me. Thanks for listening. Mismatch is produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. You can learn more about Chang and Eng on our website, mismatchpodcast.com. Next time on Mismatch, we'll get to the bottom of a feud between two famous doctors. It happened when one of them implanted the world's first artificial heart. And he was livid. He was calling people at Baylor. He was screaming on the phone. He was furious. 
Meanwhile, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's how you're listening. Thanks.